Welcome to Creatives Grab Coffee, hosted by Kirill Lazaroff and Dario Nuri. CGC is a platform where creatives and business professionals discuss industry topics, ideas, and experiences. Today we welcome our guest, Matthew Watts. Matt is a creative producer and director who does business under Viva Media, a Toronto-based video production and animation company crafting smart ads and messaging for businesses and brands. We hope you enjoy our discussion, so let us start. We have ideas. We have ideas. We're going to be like seated and like proper chairs because these stools, oh my God, man, after like an hour, your back starts to hurt like crazy, right? But yeah, we're going to have like a, uh, like a shelf right in the middle. It's going to have like shoes for me and then Carol's hats. Also, you're a shoe guy. He's the hat guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. I like it. How's your week been? Pretty, pretty, to be honest, pretty uneventful. It's, It's just been like doing edit stuff. Um, I don't even think there was any shoots this week. It was just, it was just editing, all editing, animation stuff and editing. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that mostly what you've been doing lately? Just a lot of, uh, just animation and just editing work? Post-production type work. A lot of, lot of post-production. There's been like, there's been sporadic stuff here and there. That's been, uh, it's just kind of like as it comes, but, uh, yeah, if, if it's not, if it's not out shooting, it's, it's in the bay editing or, or sitting down and hammering out an animation so have you found that there's been like a, a bit of a kind of like a small boom in work in in over like the past few weeks because this is something we've noticed that even during times of uh epidemics and crisis you know september is still always the month of the year where everyone is trying to get content done yes it, do you know what it is i know exactly why it is so every what we've what we have found is every year around this time, this is where people sit down and they start going, okay, Q4, they have budgets that they have to spend. And if they don't spend it, they don't get it next year. So they go, okay, we have a bunch of money. Let's make a video. So then they start planning in like September, October. And then you actually end up shooting maybe like a month or two later, because it has to go through all these approval processes. Right. Um, But yeah, we find that there's usually a big boom. And then the end of the year is like the final kind of whittling down of those budgets. Yeah, I remember like many years back, uh, I was told that like a lot of companies, their fiscal years end around October specifically. So September is the time where they really ramp up and they want to at least get those budgets out there and spent, you know, because they want to still play with the same amount of marketing dollars for the following year, right? Mm-hmm. Why not put it into a video, right? They're, they're ex- well, they're expense- expensive compared to a lot of other things. But uh, right. yeah, def- it's definitely a good uh, way to spend your budget. You know, you just mentioned the approval process. Like, how lengthy is it usually on your end? That's a good question. It really depends. If it's like a, if it's like a small little um, startup, it could be like instant. Like if it's going for like a, through like a small team of like maybe five, 10, maybe even like 20 or 30, pretty quick. Um, if it's like, if we're talking like a, a, like a fortune 500 large company, multiple levels of people, it can take like sometimes a month. It can take sometimes a month and a half just to get like an approval on a, on like a, a, a quote or like an idea. Well, getting approvals on ideas is even longer, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah, getting, getting approvals on stuff. And it translates through, through to like feedback rounds too. Like I, I'm always like, okay, 48 hours. Like that's what we like to work with. But sometimes these large corporations are like, no, we need a week to gather feedback or we need, I don't know, for like a one minute video, but. And that's if you're lucky, I found at times too. If you could get it in a week, that's, that's actually pretty fast depending on the, on the company, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. 
How, how do you deal with it? Well, obviously, when, when you're dealing with bigger clients and there tends to be a lot more cooks in the kitchen. So yeah. how do you usually how do you deal with that process? Oh, that's a really that's a really, really, really good question. I think it's mostly so I usually I'll approach people and talk from experience and go, hey, we've worked with projects where there's like a ton of project stakeholders. It isn't smooth. So what I always like to say is nominate somebody who's in your stakeholder group to be the communicator, right? And they will be the project lead. And then we'll have one person on our side, talk with that one person and translate anything that's needed. If it it goes through one person, they can filter what's essential, what's not, um, and kind of translate. They kind of act like a translator in a way too, um, for everything that kind of exchanges between the two parties or two vendors. Yeah. Yeah, we, we kind of ran into that early on where we had a couple of projects where there were too many people involved and they yeah. were all sending us like separate notes on things. And there were sometimes conflicts where it's like, no, we, didn't, we weren't supposed to make that change because, again, that person was below a higher up. So we got to a point where like, OK, it needs to flow just through one person and then yeah. that person gets all the feedback and we just communicate with that guy. The, the worst, though, I found is when they CC you in their group discussions in email chains at times and I, a lot of those times i'm like oh no i like i'm getting emails every every hour from someone within their team trying to give feedback and like this was like many years ago we noticed this so uh luckily for us we've just kind of kept it simple now to the point as you said one person is the go-to person for us to communicate with and, and that's and that's pretty much it and consolidated feedback it's got to be consolidated otherwise you get those conflicting those conflicting things but and i guess kind of not necessarily limiting feedback but putting feedback on a timeline helps really a lot as well so being like hey for us to progress at the rate we're progressing we need feedback by this date and it needs to be all consolidated so we can progress otherwise it delays stuff on our on our end as i'm sure you know as well well that, that's pretty good because we actually don't do that um mm-hmm. when we send off the project to the client we're just like okay let us know what you guys think but we've never actually given them given them like a deadline to say like Okay, let us know within yeah. forty-eight to seventy-two hours what your thoughts. What your thoughts That's are. That's good. Yeah. Well, how does that make a difference? Every project we take on, we're like, we're like, hey, we usually allocate on client side like forty-eight hours for feedback. If you think you need more, let us know. But we've built out timelines based on expecting feedback in about forty-eight hours, and then they know if they go beyond that. Like, let's say they have a project launch date. If they go beyond that forty-eight hours, we know it's kind of out of our hands, and we can say, hey, you kind like. You kind of miss that window, so it's going to delay when we're able to start the edit up again, right? Oh, okay. yeah, that's actually really, yeah, really good. I think that solves a lot of problems for a lot of people because there are times where we would give uh, feedback. It's, this is mostly an issue when it's projects that don't exactly have a necessary deadline. Mm-hmm. You know, typically if there's a deadline where they need to get a project done by, it's a little bit easier because they will get back to you for that. But if it's a project that's a little bit more open like up in the air, they, they just kind of go, okay, we give them the video and uh, we sometimes wait even weeks before we even hear any yeah, feedback. Yeah, like a month, two like, months at times. Like there was one client got back to us. Six after, months. Yeah, after six months. One, one was six months they got back to us. Yeah. Even though we even though we build them and, and sent them uh, the invoices so that they could get the, uh, so that at least we can pay our crew and pay our yeah. team. You know, they still were taking long with getting the changes like, over to us. Yeah, we got paid for the project already. We were kind of like, oh, okay, we thought this was like locked in already, but yeah. Wow. That's, and you know what? Yeah, that's, I mean, that definitely has, hap- that has happened before. And like, we'll usually just close it out, move it to an archive, be like, 
hey, um, just so you know, we're, we're, we're invoicing for the project. It's done. It's locked. We're going to move your project over to an archive. If you need it changed at all in the future, let us know and we can reactivate it. But like we tell them like, hey, we're deactivating it now. It's, it's getting put on an archive. So um, that, that's how we've combated that. But it's always a tricky process. How, how many revisions do you normally go through? Yeah. Because if you have those like timed, uh, you know, if you have those timed uh, moments where it's like, okay, within 48 hours, get back to me. Like how many more 48 hour sessions do you have yeah. after that? Good question. So the, honestly, almost every project we do has a preset timeline, like saying, Hey, we'll have an edit for you on this date. We expect feedback by this. Um, uh, we'll have an, a new edit to you by this date, 48 hour window, da, 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 da. We usually allocate, we usually plan for two. And you might, some people will go, well, Hey, we want to do unlimited revisions and we'll go, well, do you have a timeline? Do you have a timeline that you're trying to launch things within? Because unlimited revisions aren't good for timelines. No. Um, but if you 90, I'd say 90% of projects, 99%, no, 95% of projects, there is some sort of timeline. Even if they say they don't have a timeline, there is a timeline. Like they'd like to get it launched. Like if they say they don't have a timeline, they should be comfortable with launching it in a year, in two years. But if you say yeah. a year, they'd say, no, no, no. It's more like, uh, and then they usually say what the timeline is. Okay. So we usually go with two because it allows us to execute on a project faster. But even beyond that, I find that um, beyond two, you, you really get nitpicky. And to be 100% honest, if you're executing on like a preset plan, depending on how much you plan your projects out, um, it should be a direct representation of what you did in, in, or at least as close of a representation as you um, had when you did like pre-production, whether, whether you storyboarded or planned or even just talked about it, right? Um, it should be a pretty direct representation. So then when they get that first draft, um, you usually get all the big, large sweeping technical changes out of the way, right? Because they're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. Can we swap it out with this or um, anything big? Usually gone in the first round, right? And by the time you make those changes and you bring it to the second round, you've hit all the big, big, big parts, right? And you're just kind of tweaking, refining. Um, there may have been like one or two other small things or larger, larger things that get through to the second round. Um, and then by the time you get to like a third, so I mean, technically, I guess we do three then. So first, second, and then like a delivery slash finish, right? Um, so I'd say, yeah, I'd say we say two like major rounds because you usually tackle everything within those first two, right? Like how many, how many times do you let things slip through two rounds of revisions? Probably not often. So, uh, you mentioned like you do about two or three different drafts and usually, as you said, you can get most of uh, the bulk of the work done within the first two and then the third one is to finalize. But I always found even the last draft, there's always one last thing where it's like, Oh, can you just move this one little thing off to the side? There's always that extra draft that goes in that we all end up doing, but you know, we've, we've learned to live with it, right? <laughs> totally. And that's the one that always gets named like final, 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 <laughs> final, final 10. You said, you said something that that's very important, I think. And that's uh, that the pre-production having proper pre-production done does eliminate a lot of the issues in post. Right. But don't, don't, don't you often find that when you sit down to edit the project, you kind of look at it completely different from when you were planning it out in pre. You're like, depending. Okay. But some of the times you're like, okay, now that we've shot it and now that I'm looking at it, you're like, it's going to be a little different, but still going to be good, right? 
Absolutely. And I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say that our, our, like we're not doing like Hollywood things over here. I wouldn't say our pre-production is prescriptive. I'd say it's a nice framework and a guide enough to give a reference of what to expect, but not prescriptive to a point where we don't have that flexibility. How do you usually like put it down on paper so that it's easily explainable to the client? Because again, it's, we're not dealing with uh, film industry types. We're dealing with no. people that are in business and that kind of don't know the world. So how do you usually like throw it down on there for them to understand? So it, dep it depends on the, it depends on the project. It also depends on the budget as well. Cause some budgets just simply don't allow for like a ton of pre, but I always think I always find uh, a, a call definitely helps always. Um, just kind of like chatting them through the process. If they've never done it before helps a lot. Um, but even something as simple as, ooh, a really good call sheet. That could be a great idea of, of um, uh, even just like loose pre-production, but it makes a big difference because it lets them know what to expect throughout the day, what you're doing at what times, um, who's going to be there, what their job is. Um, even if it's just a small like two-person crew, right? That it's, it makes a big difference. And you can even have like little shots, like we're going to be even if you just said, we're going to be outside, we're going to be inside, we're going to be filming people at this time, that makes a big difference for some, of, for some people. Um, and you can also go as intense as having a script or laying out interview questions and what you expect the response to be. It doesn't have to be prescriptive to the exact response, but what you expect you're going to hear. Um, and then all the way through to like an actual storyboard thing or like a previs or an animatic or, or stuff like that. So it really depends on the project, but it's just being, um, I guess, as detailed as you can with whatever the project calls for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's what we found usually works as well. Just uh, being even even something as simple as showing the client like images of what it's going to look like or something similar that's going to look like. What do you find is the most challenging part of the, the pre-production phase? Getting an idea, I guess, yeah, coming up with an idea, once again, depends on the project, but getting an, finding an idea that the client really likes that resonates with them, definitely revising that idea or even just like getting the scripting right where it's like a balance of what you know or what you think will work versus what they want to achieve. In the pre-production phase, when you have a, an idea, I find that usually the clients like to go with those ideas when they see how much you like the ideas. At least in my experience, that's what I've found. Do you find it's similar with, the, with you guys in Viva? Totally. So if, yeah, if you're, really, if you're really passionate and you really push for an idea, and to be honest, I think clients love, contrary to what most people think, I think clients love pushback. Like they, when um, they go, hey, we really want to make a, a five minute video to put on social and you just being like five minutes isn't going to work. Like five minutes is way too long these days. And like, you might have a bit of a back and forth, but you pushing against them uh, for that little thing because you have their best interest in mind, I think goes a long way for them. Yeah. I think another interesting thing about pre-production as well is that since we're, we're both video production companies, we're technically not supposed to really be doing the creative stuff that would be left to something, someone like uh, an ad or marketing agency, right? A lot of the time they do the creative. But it's funny that we take that role up upon ourselves, right? Because normally it would just be you get outsourced for the video work, like just the production, right? 
maybe you contribute to the pre somewhat, but it's mainly just a production. But it's almost like we're taking on that aspect as well, where we create the video for them, right? And that that's that's often something that's overlooked: the fact that we are writing out like a script for the project. <laughs> yeah, and th I think that's an evolution of companies as well, right? The it's not it's not always. Like you might go to, you might go to an oil change place for, for an oil change, but you might need something, a little something else done or a little something, um, in a different area, but it's, it's, you don't want to go to two different places all the time. Some projects and some things might call for it where you need people to specialize in certain things, but most of the time it's a great way to stretch kind of make budgets go a little bit farther so you don't have to get people who specialize in each individual area and it i don't know it just adds value to it i think yeah it, it, it's kind of like one of those things where as you mentioned like if you're going to one place uh for one type of service but you need something done that's extra that doesn't necessarily need the greatest expert in the world to be handling it at the very least you get someone who's really good at it and can help take care of that. You know, a lot of people prefer convenience sometimes mm -hmm. over, you know, having everything being 100% perfect. You know, sometimes things, uh, campaigns can go a long way if they're, you know, like say maybe 80, 85%, you know, but it was very conven conveniently put together, you know, and it, it's just interesting to kind of like see that put into perspective as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. You know, it's funny, we're on the topic of pre-production. Why don't we actually switch to how you got into the industry? Oh, sure, okay. So very, very interesting story. So I'm classically trained as an engineer, specifically a laser engineer, photonics engineering. Um, that's what I went to school for. That's what I studied. That's, that's everything I know. Um, and while I was in school studying um, lasers, it was a lot of math. It was a lot of physics. It was a lot of really number crunchy stuff. And I needed something creative to do. So I started teaching myself. I, well, I watched a lot of YouTube at the time and uh, I started kind of getting into that video space. I was like, video is pretty cool. Like I like watching other people create videos and I like, I want to, I want to do that. So I'm going to try and learn how it's done. So in between classes and number crunching and stuff, I got myself like, a, I, did you guys ever remember the flip cameras? Oh yeah. Oh, you, a flip you mean like, oh, from, the, from the like phones. the flip phones? No flip cameras. Like, uh, it was like a little standalone video camera. Oh, and then like the screen would kind of flip out and it's just like you're holding it kind of like this. Not even like that. It was like a brand of camera. It was, they oh. were, they were specifically, they were like 130 bucks, but they were called flip because the USB port flipped out. So fancy. Um, How long ago was this? 2010. Oh, okay. Okay. Never heard of these cameras. <laughs> they were popular for like a year and a half, maybe. Okay. But they were like the go-to camera. So I got this thing and I became obsessed with, uh, cause I, I would film things and I'd be like, ah, oh, it doesn't look as cool as, or as good as the stuff that they're shooting with it. So I became obsessed with like learning the ins and outs of video and how to make the image better. And then I started teaching myself video editing, progressing through final cut, da, 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 da. So this was all while I was in school. And eventually that, that little, side project became like a total obsession and I ended up graduating. Um, I ended up getting a job in the field for six months. And then after working in the field for six months, I was like, don't want to do it. I'm going to go do video. So I quit. I was a fiber optic fusion splicer. I quit that job and uh, I got myself a T2I and I went in my parents' bedroom 
or in my in my bedroom at my parents' house, and I just started grinding. I started looking for. I didn't even know how to get into the into the industry, so I started looking for jobs. I started doing online video editing for just random people all over the internet. Craigslist, and slowly but surely honing that. Yeah, honing that in. Yeah, it's funny. We started on the T2Is well, as well. No, no. You started on the 6D. I started no, no, no. on the T2I. The T2I. Remember that YouTube channel? That was a T2I. No, that wasn't. That was another one. That was a 60D that you had. Oh, the 60D. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. That was yeah. revolute. That was like one of the better cameras back then. Like I, I had to settle for the T2I because it was my first year of uni at the time back in 2011. And I knew, okay, I can't afford the 60D. It's like $1,500. But... I can I can squeeze 750 for the T2i, <laughs> but that thing uh, got me through. You know, it got me into the industry when I was in it. You know, for like half a year making that thing work, I, I pushed that little thing to the limit, and then I'm like, okay, time time to upgrade a little bit now. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the 60D. <laughs> How cool was it finding like finding the limits of that camera and pushing it all the way to and kind of like getting the ins and outs of it? I feel like that's the most fun part of anything. As creators, we always like to see how far we can push the limits of our tools, you know, and I feel like now a lot of people have just gotten spoiled, you know, with the, with the barriers to entry being so low and cameras being so capable now, you know, people are demanding that the cameras can do everything. Meanwhile, we were just <laughs> praying to be able to get 60 frames per second at 720p. That was a rare thing back then. <laughs> do you know what's even crazier to think too is people... People, even even back then, we thought that we were like roughing it, but we would have film people look at us and go, they've got the coolest thing. They have it so easy. They have digital ISO that they can set. And so film people said the same thing about us. And now we're saying the same thing about people who have like A7S3s that shoot in the dark and all this stuff. I so know, I guess right? it just evolves. <laughs> it's funny that we have kind of the same background in a way because you started, well, just slightly after school, whereas we started just as we were yeah. ending school well a little differently like he was he already got into his industry and got a job and was working there but he, got, he kind of got into it while he was still in like near the end of his school right it was a like a fell into it kind of thing but like i needed to do it for myself so how did you make the transition you know like you said you were working or you were working uh, in your parents basement trying to do edits for random people on the internet how did you go from that to viva media honestly it's a lot of like lucky connections and um, like right place, right time and networking and just building, I guess, building a portfolio and having a portfolio as crappy as it was back then. The, yeah, it was just, I, I would, I would edit for, did you, do you know Upwork? Do you guys know Upwork, that website? Um, no. It's like Fiverr, I think, oh, right? Oh, similar to Fiverr? It kind of like that. So I would do like a bunch of edit stuff on on a site like that for, I did something for like the, the city of Melbourne in Australia and, and things oh, wow. like that, right? So that would lead to other people recommending me to other people. And I would do stuff for like $50, like next to next to nothing. And it was all just like passing along and and one recommendation to another until you hit something like really crazy where that connection will be at a, um, a let's say a large company and they're like hey we have a large a large budget at the time for for me to work with and then of course when you get a little bit of a larger budget you start getting maybe a little bit better of a, equipment and you start you start going on like this 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 ladder kind of climbing up where you 
your skill ceiling gets a little higher and you, you get a few more clients in a, in a slightly larger network and then you upgrade your equipment because then, then you're limited by it. And you, it, it's kind of like this never ending. It's like in video games, you know, you're leveling certain, up. Yeah, you're leveling up and then suddenly now you, you have your skill tree. You have more skills on that branch and you move up and everything. Every, every company we've spoken to seem to have that one moment that kind of launched them from oh my God, they might need to quit next month because they just can't make ends meet to, okay, now they're settled in and now they're a company. So what was that one, what was that moment for you? Oh, geez. I might not have had that moment to be 100% honest. It was, a, it was a slower burn. Like I was freelancing everywhere for, for everybody. Uh, I was driving from, at the time, Oshawa to Toronto to do little tiny jobs. I mean, if I had to peg it down to one to one thing, I would say I was at a, um, an award show, like a gala event that I was invited to as kind of like a, like a plus one to somebody. And uh, I met somebody that I knew that worked in marketing at a big, big, big company. And I've known him for, I knew him for uh, an extended period of time. And he was like, Hey, how is um, photonics going? Like, did you get a job in your field? And I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> or I did. And then I left it. Um, and he was like, uh, what do you do now? And I was like, Oh, I do. I'm doing video. I'm doing freelance video. He's like, you are. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, that's super funny because we are at, at his company. So it was, it was, uh, I probably shouldn't say the company. I probably can't say the company, but he was, he was, um, he was working at this large company. It's a big, big company. You definitely know the name of this company. And um, he was like, Oh, they're, they're looking to do a video. And one of the people that did our video just, just left. And it was just a, just a freelance person that they were using. And he's like, I'm going to put you in, in touch with them. So he did. And, um, I, I was like, Hey, I'll do, I'll do my best to, to, uh, kind of, uh, make your recommendation of me shine. So I remember debriefing on the project, chatting with the client and, uh, they go, okay, great. Can you send us a quote? And the project was bigger than I, ex than I expected. So I didn't know how to quote for it. Always a big challenge. Like when you get that first potential massive project and you don't know <laughs> how to properly quote, it's like, I don't want to ask for too much, but I also don't want to ask too little. Right. <laughs> It's very, it's very tough early on. That's exactly what happened. So I sent, he's like, send a quote to, to, to my work email. I'll forward it off to the team. So I sent him a quote and immediately when I sent it, he messaged me back. He's like, that's not enough. And I was like, yeah. do you need me to go <laughs> lower? He's like, no, he's like, you're going to have to put it double or triple for them to take you seriously. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. So I went back and I, I doubled or tripled it. I was like, I'm not just going to increase the number. So I tried to add like a bunch of values things yeah. and I sent it back and he's like, okay, they'll take this much more seriously. So there is such a thing as under quoting where people don't take you seriously, which I didn't realize. Yeah. That makes sense though, because imagine if you are like one of these uh, companies and you do get someone that wants to do the job, but then they're quoting you that little, you're like, eh, something's well, off here. Something's well, not right. Actually, that's, there's actually a direct correlation as to why they don't take you seriously. Think about it like this. If a client has a $50,000 or $100,000 budget that they're putting towards a campaign, and they're putting 60,000 of that in the talent, in the location, in the product, in the whole organization of it, 
and they have 40,000 set aside for the actual content creators to come in and produce it. If you come in and say, you're only going to charge 5,000 for that, then they're going to think to themselves, I don't want to risk all that other money mm. for just um, uh, for this guy to do it, but not do a good enough job. And then they're on the hook for all the other budget that got wasted because they may have saved uh, 20, like $35,000 on that on the content creation side, but then they're gonna lose it in the 60,000 that they're gonna have to redo the whole project again. Well, maybe not even that. Maybe it's because they do need to use up that whole amount, right? Well, that's another story, but I'm just saying yeah. this is a very, this is a more direct correlation is they don't wanna risk re needing to redo the project again. Totally. And yeah, it's, it's both of those things, right? And it's, yeah, it was, it was, it was so wild because I've never seen or heard anything like that in my life. They just say, they just say tack on more, tack on more to seem legitimate. So I did and got the job. And that was, that was the kickstart. It was, it was more money than I'd ever seen ever. And they were willing to trust me with it. So I was like, I'm going to do my darndest to make this thing shine. I really went overkill on it. Um, but that amount was enough to kickstart the rest of everything that I did. And then it kind of, it accelerated after that. So at one point did you go from a freelancer to a business owner? Uh, officially switched over to a corporation on uh, 2017. That's a year or two after we started. Yeah, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, like you mentioned, you, you, you took some more time to kind of like freelance and just build up your skills. Whereas with us, uh, we were freelancing for like a certain period and then we decided to open up laps. But, you know, at the same time, we still freelance every now and then, uh, depending on uh, people within our network, what they need. But, you know, it's just been kind of like a mutual growth. Yeah. And it's interesting. You started roughly at the, at the same time because you started 2013. Yeah. We started 2014, right? Well, you started 2014. I started 2013 as well. Oh, OK, yeah, you yeah. know, I, I love I love this little story, how you're saying, you know, like the first big project where you thought was more money than you could even imagine. It's like I remember a month into freelancing, I realized I had this one a uh, small student run organization asked me for a project and they said, how much uh, can you, uh, can you quote for this? And they gave me a reference with this other guy that gave him a quote and I'm like, Oh my God, this is so much. And it was only like $1,500, <laughs> but like, like I'm like, okay, there's actually potential with this. And then started moving on with that. And then when Dario and I started laps, I think the first major project that we had was, uh, was a project that we did with uh, a bank. And the quote that, we, that they asked us to give, we were like surprised that we could even charge this much. And we're like, okay, there's a lot of potential of where we can go with this even, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's such an interesting feeling, right? Yeah, and it, it, like it opens your eyes and it, you, you immediately see when you, when you see the potential of it, you see all the possibilities and the different avenues that you can go down and the actual longevity of it, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's crazy, yeah. So maybe I did have the, the one, the one moment. Yeah. I guess that would be the one moment. Did that, did that happen when you were incorporated or, well, it must've happened before when that, was right? Freelancing, when you were freelancing. Said, yeah. That yeah. happened 2015 or 2016. Yeah. I do want to touch upon, um, you going from a freelancer to a company. What was that change? Because I know you got that big project that kind of got you going, but there's still, you need a lot of those and there's a, you could still get those as a freelancer and remain a freelancer, right? So what what made you go from just being a freelancer to saying, okay, let me open up my own company now? Yeah, um, I it was honestly it, it was the amount of work. It became too much for one person to 
to, to do. And like, I really, I really pushed it. Like I, I looking back now, I probably should have, I was probably on the cusp of burning out with how much I was, I was working. I was pretty much awake and working or, or asleep and just getting bare minimum sleep to, uh, to wake up the next day and do it again. But it was, it was definitely a point where I had so much work that I physically couldn't do it all myself. And if I tried to, it, the work would suffer and I would deliver like subpar stuff and it would actually hurt relationships and hurt, um, uh, future work and things. So there was a point where, yeah, I, I went, okay, I have to look at, um, number one, separating out my living space from my working space and actually like getting an office. Cause I was working out of my condo at the time. Um, and then it also creates a space for me to have somebody else in because I didn't want them in my space. I'm a very separate space person. I have to be in different spaces to be in different mindsets. Um, so that was the point where um, I went, okay, I have to, or the accountant was suggesting I have to incorporate. Uh, um, and then I got an office and then I got, and the, to be fair, the office was a closet. It was, it was a, it was a literal closet. It couldn't have been much bigger than, I don't know, the room you're in right now eight by eight. Oh, eight by eight. Oh, that's a small one then <laughs> literally, literally Not like lying when, a, when I say it's a closet, <laughs> but, but yeah, I went into that and, uh, and then it, two people fit in there, not very well, but fit in there. And, uh, then it just kept snowballing from there. Cause I was able to offload some things that, um, that I didn't have time for, or that were too, um, mundane when I should be allocating my time to other things. Um, and it just, once again, it kept step laddering and snowballing and then we'd want to bring somebody else on. Then I'd have to get a, a, a bigger space and then, uh, another person on and then a bigger space after that. So it's, yeah, it kind of stair step like that. Yeah. That goes back to scalability. Right. And that's something that we're trying to figure out for ourselves right now. So I know like for us, for example, we're, we're outsourcing a lot of the work to freelancers that we know. I know the next step is to get an office, but we don't really know what the next steps after that will be, right? Whereas, like, so how did you go about it? Because, okay, you got the office, and then how did you decide what the next position uh, to hire was? Because I know you obviously were using freelancers as well, but how did you decide, okay, I need an employee that's going to be this specific role? Hmm. My, mine was where, where, is, um, where is taking up the most time, and can I find somebody to help fill that spot? So a lot of it believe it or not for me was the, what would be like assistant editing. So like paring down the footage, picking the good shots, um, listening over to an interview and picking out like the, the good sound bites. That was probably the longest part of the process for me. And that's the very first spot that I got somebody in. But at the same time, I also realized that, uh, cause I also work pretty, or I did work pretty fast. So I needed to find somebody who could keep up with it. And at the time working remotely, wasn't like a, a thing that was, that was super quick or, or easy. So I had to, I had to get a physical space where I could have somebody hardwired in and I got them a computer and we were both accessing the same files and I could give instant feedback to somebody or they could ask me an instant question. And there was enough work to, to do that like consistently day in and day out. But he was also he was also a bit of a Swiss Army knife. Or I like to I like to hire people who are like Swiss Army knives and are good in multiple different areas. 
um, so that if there was a little lull in assistant editing, he was cool to come out on set or um, do something else that that wasn't assistant editing. So um, that was a yeah, that was that was the first spot that I that I hired in. Finding talent like that is is so difficult in this city that we found. You know, it's. I feel like a lot of a lot of us, once we find people that we really enjoy working with, that we know are good, we we try to nurture those relationships as much as we can, especially now, because, you know, with there being so much competition out there, you know, and people vying for work, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to build relationships like that, especially like going forward. Right. So definitely finding the Swiss Army nice when you find them stick to them because you know there's it's really hard to find others like that. Yeah, like we put a call out for we wanted to increase our roster. So we put calls out for different positions and I can't tell you how many people reached out and out of all the people that reached, let's say for the position of editor, we had 60 people reach out. I think at the end of the day, five looked interesting. It's really surprising sometimes how when you get connected to one person, that's almost like a web of connections that kind of lead to other things. Like I can probably pinpoint probably a good 10 people uh, that I've met in my career that can all stem from me making one application on Mandy back in 2014. Just a random application that I did. It's like, and these are 10 people that I work with frequently, like very frequently yeah. now. And it's, it's it, like, a, it's just crazy to think sometimes like that, you know, like people always think, ah, this opportunity, you know, it'll lead to nowhere, you know, but sometimes it's just that one that you need because you don't know where it's going to spiral. Right? Yeah. And it's, it goes back to like, there's, there's that saying, I don't know the saying, obviously, but um, it's that thing where, where like good people breed other good people. There's just like a network of, of good people. So when you do find that one thing that like really works and you really click with it, it just leads to other people within that kind of realm and that same kind of headspace and, and, and mindset. And yeah, you're totally right. It, all it takes is that one person. But I think people get frustrated when you don't find that one person like right off the bat and you, you won't. Right. And like, it's like, it's kind of like, it's like dating. Not every date you're going to, you're going to go on is going to be <laughs> a hit. Right. It's, it's, you have to go through some like tough stuff, some okay stuff. And you, you, it's, it's a numbers game. You finally find one that, that hits, but you got to be persistent. They're looking yeah. for the one every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's funny how similar uh, business actually is to dating in some ways. Because again, like even when you're going out and you're trying to pitch to clients, you don't want to seem too needy. So it's like on a date, you yeah. don't want to seem too needy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you really like this person, but you know, you got to be like, listen, I got <laughs> options. <laughs> I have another client talking to me. <laughs> You know what, uh, going back a bit before though, when you first got into video, what were your goals? Because for us, when we first got into it, it was like, yeah, to kind of grow a company and be able to live off of it. But I think our, at the time, our long-term goals were to somehow uh, transition into the film industry. So I wonder what yours were. Oh, my, uh, honestly, mine's a little, mine's a little weird. So I, my main, back at the start, my main goal was just to not go back to fusion splicing. <laughs> To be totally honest, still finding it. That was my main thing as I just didn't want to have to go back, move into my parents' house and, and do fusion splicing again. So that was, that was my short term goal, but long term, uh, I think it evolved into, I was trying a bunch of different areas, um, just because I'm not classically trained in things and, and it was kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticked. I really liked, um, uh, branded stuff. 
So whether that be like a commercial or like a doc, like I love learning things. Like I'm a big learner and like a big, huge, huge tech, tech guy. Um, but learning, like I love sitting down with people and like hearing their story or hearing like a business's story. And to some people that's, that's really boring, but like, I'll go listen to a CEO talk about finance all day long. Like I, 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 I love it. Um, just absorbing content. So that kind of fell me into like the commercial branded um, realm of things. And that's where, that's where I've kind of stuck. So you feel like you've kind of like, kind of uh, gone into more of like the branded doc area, you know, where there's, there's a story that is very present there, but it's real. You love hearing how people kind of like have their, or almost like people's origin story. Right. I, I feel like a lot of people, love to hear how other people got into their businesses. That's also partially why we started this podcast because, you know, we, we felt that I was like, okay, I, I think we have a pretty interesting story of how we started, but like, do other people have uh, situations where they were very similar? And just like, even now, like the way we're, 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 we're talking about it, we, there are a lot of parallels in how each of us started together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely nuts. But the, uh, yeah, the, 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 I guess the, the big, yeah, the big thing is, is, is it's a, it's a, it's a journey, right? And there's no like set path. There's no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's all honestly a lot of experimentation and just kind of figuring out what, what, what works for you. Okay. So you, you went from freelancer to business and now you're incorporated. Uh, what are some of the current challenges you're facing? Not including challenges that the pandemic, um, you know, kind of instituted yeah, upon us, maybe all... like. We all have those same yeah, challenges. Yeah, we're, we're all in the same boat with that regard, right? But uh, I guess maybe uh, before the pandemic started, what were some of the challenges you were facing? Hmm. Uh, one is is trying to like clone yourself. So find somebody who's like a direct match of you just to help with uh, scaling and, and workload and, and that sort of thing. Um, so definitely like growing or scaling. Um, that's always a challenge uh, and kind of giving up control a little bit. It's probably one of them. Um, I like everything to like have its, have its place and be like a little, a little ecosystem, but I have been learning to, to kind of give up part of that creative process or um, uh, handing over a larger part of an edit, especially if somebody says they want to try it or they want to do it, just letting, allowing for more opportunities, I guess. Um, Another challenge, uh, ooh, chal a challenge that I feel like you get when you start to grow and scale is you're able to, you're financially not able to take on some of the smaller projects or the smaller clients that you might've worked with in the past. So kind of, I guess, letting some things go just because financially you can't, um, that's definitely a challenge. How do you deal with that? So when you have a client, maybe even a current or was, was a current client coming to you and saying, okay, like this is still our budget. We really can't do much with this. How do you, how do you handle that situation? Because obviously you don't want to leave them high and dry, but yeah. at, at the same time, you want to make sure you're, you're able to financially be able to take on the project, right? Totally. Yeah. I think nowadays uh, they, they come in all sorts of different scales. Like like there's like really small, small, small stuff where like you just can't do anything. And in that case, um, I might say, uh, I might provide, instead of being able to provide a service, you can provide advice. 
So I might just say, Hey, that's, that's, I, I can't, or we can't financially work within those realms just because we have minimums and different things that we have to meet because you are cooperation with, with people and, and overhead and things that you have to maintain. But just being able to provide some advice to people is, is, is big. So let's say somebody has, let's say somebody comes and they're like, Hey, I have 500 bucks. Like, um, I want to make a video or, or, or do a shoot or something. And I go, it's not a, not a good fit for us. However, I know so-and-so they're a student at school who could do a lot with that. And they're really talented, um, chat with them and it can be a stepping stool for them even. Right. Um, or like maybe a smaller freelancer who's just getting a start, but again, is also really talented and I can kind of vouch for them and go, Hey, they have a lot of potential. They could do something really, really cool with this. Um, on the larger scale of things, like if it's just out of the range of what's possible for us on a normal budget, I might reapproach approach it from the perspective of, um, I can't, the, the scope of work that they want to achieve might be at least in our realm mismatched from what their budget allows. But in that case, I will go and I will say, Hey, I can't do what you want within the budget that you have set, but let's see what we can do within the budget that you have set, whether that just be the production side and providing the raw footage over, and then maybe a freelancer takes over from there. Um, but yeah, just proposing, always having like a solution, even though it might not be a direct service provide on your part. So it's basically like as if you, you, you may not be able to fulfill exactly what they're coming to you with, but you're offering uh, different solutions. You're basically at that point becoming uh, the consultant at this point, right? Because you're, you're trying to help them achieve whatever goals that they have, even though you personally may not be able to. I, there have been times where Dario and I haven't been able to take on a project and we've tried to recommend ideas and solutions for the clients of what they can do, either connect them, as you said, to other people who might be interested in taking on projects like that versus, you know, us being able to take that on. Do you, do you still charge for that consulting bit you do? And if if you don't, I'm guessing it's just a very quick type of consultation, right? Like just, okay, based on what I'm listening uh, to you talk about on this call, like, yeah, just go, go do this or that. That's exactly it. Yeah. It's not a, it's not like a big, because once again, you can't do a big time investment, right? Yeah. Um, it's just usually a quick, it might be a quick email back. It might be a quick uh, phone call just to like guide them through something, but it's, it's, it's never, it's never a big, uh, a big consulting thing, never charge for it. It's just like, a, a, Hey, I super appreciate you taking the time to reach out and even just consider us for, for what you're doing. Like even that is a big thing. Um, at the very least, let me provide you with this quick 15 minute piece of advice or 20 minute piece of advice and give you a direction to go. Right. Cause the worst thing that could, that that person could hear is just a flat out. No. Cause then you're left directionless. You don't really know where to go. Um, it doesn't help you in any capacity, right? The very least I can do is say, uh, no, however, I, I do know this area it, based on my recommendation. This is the way this is, this is the next spot you should look. And that may come back to, uh, uh, to get you. It's kind of like a, a karma thing. Maybe, maybe they are best friends with a VP at a company where they go, uh, they might be talking, going out for dinner and might be talking about a, an upcoming project. Right. And they'll go, Oh, I, I, there was a company that I reached out to and they were really helpful and provided this advice. And uh, they might be, they were a higher end thing, but they might be able to help you and then pass along that information or something. Right. So it's not immediate value that, that you're providing and, and no, you're not able to charge for it, but 
those kinds of things can come back to be very, very, very valuable in the future. Because you put yourself in a in a in a very positive light with that person, whether you were able to work with them or not, you know, you're still putting a good image out there of yourself as a as a business. Like, and that's very valuable to a lot of people, especially if you're solving problems for them. Yeah, I think it worked out for us when we kind yeah. of explained the situation to them as well. We're like, look, it's be- it's below our break even cost. Yeah. So like taking on this project costs cost me money. Right. So once we said that, they kind of understood it and they're like, okay, we get it. And then we kind of explain like, again, here's what you could do instead. Mm -hmm. Totally. And it's crazy because a lot of people, especially if you're dealing with somebody who's doesn't, who's never done a video before, they simply don't know the costs and and the work and the process that goes into making something. Right. So So, how do you explain that to them? The the thing that I actually, just to kind of build on that, uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of clients, they typically think that there's only certain things that cost money in video. In their mind, it's usually, uh, okay, so how many days are you gonna come for? It's a one day, two day shoot. They're thinking those are the costs and maybe some costs for editing. But one thing uh, that I find that a lot of clients get surprised about is when there is budget that needs to be allocated for the pre-production. How do you typically communicate that to them? Because in their mind, it's like, oh, you're just coordinating or planning. It's like you're not actually showing up to do anything. Why should I pay you for just that aspect? How do you how do you approach that? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one because you're really tangibly not producing anything, right? When you're just sitting down and coming up with an idea or brainstorming or um filling out like a, a storyboard but the the best way that i explain it to people is hey i i want to set I, I want to do well by this project and for me to do well by this project and actually do build out the framework and the blueprint for this thing i need to set aside half a day of my time where i'm not looking at anybody else's projects and i just need to focus on building out the plan for for yours and no it's not it's not a tangible um thing, but it's, it's, I'm setting aside half of, half of my day to make sure that I can do justice for the project that, that, that you're paying for. So that's, it's a, it's a weird one, right? It's a weird one to actually like quantify and, and, and charge for. So it's almost like when you're building a house, yeah. if you don't pay the architect to design it, to design a blueprint, you're going to build a crooked house. Yeah. The, the construction guys are not going to have it perfectly set up. (laughs) It kind of goes back to that example we discussed about how if a if a if a uh, if a business is putting all this money into you know the planning of the project, they want to make sure it's it's done well enough so it can only be done once. You know, if there's no if there's no investment in the pre-production, you know, you're basically gambling with that one or two days that you've scheduled. Will it work? Will it not work? Oh, it didn't work. Now you got to pay more for us to come out again. You know, it's it's just kind of one of those things, right? Yeah. That, and that's a good way to put it is, is if, if it doesn't, if you're flying by, if you choose to fly by the seat of your pants, um, know that it could end up costing you more in the, in the long run, because you might not like flying by the seat of the pants. You're just kind of, you, you're, you're at the mercy of, of whatever that production day or whatever brings, right? You, you don't really, to, to do a redo in production costs a lot of money, right? So you want to put this small amount of time or proportionally the small amount of, of budget or, or time allocation into that pre-production because it will make production much more efficient in the long run. Mm-hmm. So we kind of covered how you explain the pre-production process to them, but what about the entire video production as a whole? Because again, some, a lot of the times we're dealing with clients that just don't know how it works. They have like some idea of how it is and it's usually unfortunately the wrong one. So how do you sit down with them and explain uh, a to B to C. 
That's a good question. If, if people, if people question, some people don't question it, right. But if some people question and don't understand the process, um, it's different for everybody in their, in their degree of understanding. It might be as simple as a, as a phone call explanation to, to walk through things. It could be something where, um, maybe we might live stream and screencast from, um, the edit bay and do something live where they can kind of show, okay, it's, it takes a lot of cutting and mixing and kind of testing things out. Um, and it kind of stream, even streamlines their, their feedback because they understand the process a little bit more. It might be something where we physically get them into the office. Um, but even, even furthermore, we always encourage a client to be on set with us just so they can see the amount of work that goes into something, have like a, a, a um, uh, a contact point or reference things that we can bounce off of be like, Hey, does this look good? Does this not look good? Because they know what you're working with in post as well. Um, some people don't like to be on set. Some people just kind of let you like to let you run free. And in those cases, it's just kind of like, okay, we're working with what we're working with. And it's an understanding on their part. Like we take the time to explain that, um, if you're not there to bounce things off of, if you're not there to kind of see the process and make sure that everything's good, um, it's kind of understood by you that whatever we get is, is, is what we get. Um, so we try to mitigate that by always requesting that somebody, somebody's on set to, to kind of vouch for us or um, be like, no, this is what was captured. Or I saw this or, or did this uh, on set just because it kind of helps make things smoother. Especially if they have very specific uh, branding guidelines, very specific messages that they need explained. Like I, Dario and I always make it a point like that we need to have a client on set, especially when it's, for example, a certain interview where they want certain messages to be said in certain ways. Because then you know you can you can guide the talent through it. But then you know it's like you can you can call the client over. It's like, hey, did you like how they delivered that? in terms of uh, like, is it in line with uh, your brand and your company to make sure that they said it the right way? Cause they, like we can get everything done right. But if something was just said in a way that the, doesn't work with the organization's goals, you know, the client is gonna say, oh no, we can't use that because they said it like this rather than like this. Yeah, cause at the end of the day, we can learn your industry, but we'll never be as knowledgeable as the client will be of their industry. Cause like again, we're dealing, yeah, cause we're dealing with people in in so many different fields that we'll yeah. never be like experts at it we'll be, we'll be get uh, we'll get pretty knowledgeable about it but yeah. not to their extent absolutely yeah 100% you you you're they can't expect you to fully have the deepest understanding of the brand and their messaging and and how they work and what their philosophies are um doing like a week of of pre-production or just being on site for a day that can't be that can't be expected. Just like we can't expect people to fully understand the video pro production process just by uh, surface level seeing things, right? So I, I I understand both sides of it, right? They they don't understand we don't understand their brand as deeply as they do, and they don't understand the video production process. So it's 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 a partnership, right? Yeah. You gotta you gotta explain everything along the way just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So I do want to touch back on scalability. Um, where do you feel you are right now? Because again, you incorporated and you got a team of people, but uh, where are your long-term goals and where are you at right now? That's a good question. I didn't expect to be here, to be, to be totally honest, to be at the point that I am now. So I don't really have a, a massive, a huge plan per se. I'm not much of a long-term, super, super, super long-term planner. Um, it's much more like, short-term evolve as I go kind of thing. Um, but where do I see, 
where do I see things going? I'd love to still like build a bigger and uh, more robust team um, to maybe free up some of my time and do more, more specific things like focus on certain areas. Um, but at the same time, like I like being little and scrappy and being able to like pivot on a dime and, and have hands in different areas of things. So I don't know. It's a balance. It's like a balance of being still maintaining the boutique, um, the boutique kind of level of quality, but having the resources of a much bigger, uh, uh, based business, right? It, it's, it's very hard to pinpoint your long-term goals constantly, especially in our industry. Cause it's constantly changing. I mean, like you said, you didn't expect to be where you are at now. Dario we and I didn't expect the pandemic either. We so. didn't expect the pandemic. Dario and I didn't expect to be where we are right now. You know, we didn't even expect to be on a show like this filming ourselves. You know, we're usually the ones behind the camera. Yeah. If you told us we're going to be filming ourselves, I would have said you're crazy. Cause we tried it once three years ago. No, and it was several a, times. It was several times. It was a disaster each of those times. Even the first <laughs> couple of episodes of this, I was like, eh, I don't know about this, <laughs> but yeah. I, I have a question for you then, if I'm allowed yeah. to inject a question. Go for it. Go for it. What was the difference? What was, what made the difference this time for you guys to go, okay, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. If you've tried it so many times in the past and gone, you know, you know what it was? We weren't looking, we weren't looking directly at the camera. Ah, not looking. I was looking oh. at Carol's beautiful eyes and that made <laughs> the world of a difference. So it was that small little change. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think part of it is uh, because like we're right now still having you know a human interaction right you know we're having a discussion between three people that's not scripted. A lot of the other times where we've tried to be on camera, we've we're trying to kind of not imitate. No, we, no, we, we we tried we tried you and I talking, but we were talking and then looking directly in the middle camera and it didn't work out. Remember we're doing it on oh, your you couch. Oh, you mean like for one of the episodes? Oh. Yeah, we tried it on your couch that time. It didn't work. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the other type of content that we were trying out was content that was kind of like what you see out there already. You know, people... Like five uh, tips. Like five editing tips. Five editing <laughs> tips. You know, how to shoot on... Like it's it's that kind of stuff that is... There's so much of that content out there. Like talking directly to a camera is so impersonal and it's so difficult, especially if you're not an actor, Right. And I think weren't you an actor at one point? Well, not I wasn't trained that much, but <laughs> he was on a TV show, a uh, TV spot. No, I was on a TV commercial, commercial but yeah. like it wasn't wasn't a big deal. But <laughs> that's why he stopped being an actor. <laughs> but anyways, um, uh, the the thing that made it different this time for us was partially during the pandemic. It was it was hard to find. Obviously, none of, none of us were working, right? You know, a lot of us were trying to figure out, you know, okay, what's what's working in our business, what isn't. You know, we had to basically tear down the business, like figuratively, and just kind of uh, restructure our goals and figure out what we want to do in the long term. And one thing we noticed, okay, we're not doing a lot of work right now. How do we also put ourselves out there, you know, that, you know, we can get in touch with people, people can see our faces. And we thought, you know what? We love podcasts. Dario and I are huge podcasts. You're forgetting something, buffs. though. We okay. Here's how it started. <laughs> I'm gonna mention. We have it. different versions of no, how no, this no. started. I'll tell you the right one. It was uh, Carol, myself, and another friend of ours called Alexa, and we started this podcast called uh, Well Gens. And well, Jen's podcast. it was mostly like this comedy podcast. And you can imagine three savages trying to have like a civilized PG conversation, how that went. But that actually got us like comfortable being recorded. Yeah. Because even with that, it was just us three talking on a Zoom call. He's in, he's in Scotland. So it had to be like Zoom between the three of us. And it took like four 
or five episodes before we got comfortable talking in front of the camera and mind you it's just like it was literally like the usual chats we had once a week except this just was, it was recorded it was recorded the recording made such a weird, like big difference we're, we're now like uncomfortable to speak but we got like warmed up with that and i think after a couple of those kirill and i were like hey remember that po- we should do this for our business too and then might as well yeah we got comfortable point. enough to try it out yeah and like it's 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 a. Uh... It's like a lifestyle value thing. You get, you get like that banter of, of lifestyle content, but you get the value of like the business content. So it's super cool. I subscribed. I, as soon as you announced it, I subscribed. I'm, I'm on the, the Spotify subscription. Ah, sweet. <laughs> now, so you're the fourth subscriber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll, we'll put a special place for number four, okay? <laughs> but you know how YouTube sends the buttons? We'll send you one of those buttons too. <laughs> exactly. I mean... It, It it was also a good distraction because, you know, like, I feel like a lot of us during the pandemic were just kind of almost going nuts, you know, like we're not working, you know, we're, we're, we're worrying about what's to come in the, in the, in the following months. You know, this was also like a nice distraction, you know, on a weekly basis, Dara and I got together and we're just kind of talking about, you know, our business, you know, our history, our origin story. And then we decided, okay, let's also bring on other people that, you know, can also share their stories. Cause this is also an opportunity for uh, people like yourself to share your experiences and even, you know, put yourself out there as well. Totally. Totally. Uh, what is something that you've done to make yourself stand out from other production companies? You know what, if I had to pick the single, the single thing, it's definitely not taking uh, production too seriously. So not, not taking yourself too seriously, not taking uh, the job too seriously, just being able to have a little bit of fun with it is a world of a difference. Like think about whenever think, people think about film production, they think about having to nail things perfectly every time. It's very tense. It's very uptight. Everybody has a specific job and they don't go beyond those bounds. And we're like, we're sitting there like cracking jokes on, on set and like having fun with things. And um, I, th- I think that makes the world of a difference. And people have told us that that makes the world of a difference, right? Um, like they've worked with people in the past where they were really great and they made really, really great stuff, but it was, it was tough to work with them, right? Um, and you've probably never heard, like you, you've probably never heard somebody go, man, we made, we made uh, a video and it looked, it looked really great and it looked really awesome. And um, we're like super stoked with how it looked, but we had like a crappy ex- experience, right? People are more likely to say, hey, we made a, a pretty decent project and we had a great time making that thing, right? People are much more happy with that B spot than that A spot. Because no matter how polished and how awesome something looks, if you had a crappy time making it, you're probably not going to do it again. So I think you don't have to be the the best of the best, but you at least have to, you have to have a good time doing what you're doing. You have to enjoy what you're doing and you have to make it enjoyable for others. So you have to be the most fun. Yeah. That mirrors a lot of our experience with our clients. It's almost like, uh, I I see it kind of like a field, a field day uh, trip with them. Yeah. They're always like, they're out of the office, they're out of the cubicle now. And it's like fun and this and that it's like a school trip almost. Right. And so you you could, you literally see it in their eyes. They're like, Oh, this is fun. And they finally get it too. Like if it's their first time, they finally get, oh, okay, that's why yeah. they were asking all the, this stuff and they needed all that. They can, they really, they really wrap their heads around the whole process at that point. 
because a lot of people have this idea, a lot of clients have this idea of what uh, video production is, you know, like they see the movies, you know, they see the behind the scenes of film sets and they think that that's how it always is. And a lot of pe a lot of companies that you mentioned that take themselves too seriously, they're also thinking like that, you know, like, oh, it has to be like this because this is what clients are expecting. But, you know, uh, companies uh, uh, like you and ourselves, we're kind of flipping it a little bit, you know, where it's, you know, it's it's not it's not always as serious as you think, you know, like, yes, like, you know, we're all there to do a job. We're all trying to create value for the clients, but at the same time, we're trying to put an, uh, like a fun experience for them. Cause they're, that's what they're also looking for. They want the fun, the glamor almost sometimes, you know, they want to, they want to be wined and dined almost in a way. <laughs> it is like dating, right? <laughs> so many times you break out the clapperboard and people are like, oh, it's a, it's a clapperboard. Let me take an Instagram <laughs> photo with it. And some people would get offended and some people would be like, no, we've got work to do. But like, let them take the picture with the clapperboard. <laughs> yeah. No, like, that's it. Like if a client wants to take a photo with the clapper, oh, if they want behind the scene photos, let them take as many as they want. You know, it's, you know, let them have fun. It's, it's their, it's their time to shine. They're paying for it. Why not? <laughs> let, let, them, let them have that time. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. They're, they're the ones who's, who are paying you to, to, to be there. And if you can have a good time with it and also deliver a, a, a good project, then I'd say that's a win-win in my books. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask, how do you balance uh, business with creativity because that's something we struggle with a lot and I everyone like, struggles with it it's... but I feel like lately we're we're trying to focus more on the business side of things so we are kind of bringing on other people to handle the creativity in a way just so we could focus on growing and scaling our business so how do you deal with that that's tough I, honestly I think it, it comes down to bringing other opinions in to help to help keep the balance there so a lot of the times if 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 I'm the one ultimately in the, at the end of the day, I guess I'm calling the shots for, for different things, but I have to be open to getting feedback for the creative side of things or the business side of things to help balance those out because I can't balance it all myself, I guess. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, okay. So I guess you're getting feedback both from the business end of things as well. And, and who's giving you that feedback? Could, could be, could be the team here. Could be, um, could be people around me, could be actual financial people, but like having people on both sides of the fence to help you make decisions and to help you balance both of those things. Cause it, it, it is a tricky thing to balance. Yeah. And which one do you find yourself leaning more towards or in favor of sometimes? <laughs> yeah. I'll probably, I, I, I think I always start with creativity. But the bounds of creativity are blocked by walls of business. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. That's a political answer, if anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, in a way, though, you say you start with creativity, but, you know, you technically have to start with business to get those walls and then you can let the creativity fly. Right. But I guess, it again, it always depends on every project, as, as, as you mentioned before. It, it always And depends. I guess over time, too, you start to realize you start to realize with each different project you take on after you start to realize where those bounds are, you start getting a sense of where to start with your creativity. Right. So you get a sense of like how big those business walls are or how small they are. Um, and you kind of, you're able to guesstimate things a little bit better. Yeah. Well, you have to always estimate with these projects uh, because you know, you, you can never know all the details right up front. So you always try to think of ideas within rough walls 
what you can do, especially if you don't know the budget. The biggest thing that determines the size of those walls and barriers is budget. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so again, like if it's like a certain type of client that comes to you with, uh, and you can expect that, oh, they'll probably have roughly a budget like this. This is roughly the realm of creativity that I can kind of yeah. go to. Right. Do you find you like, do you think long term you're going to have to focus strictly on the business side of things? Because again, I know you said you didn't expect to be in the position you're at, but don't you want to grow it to a point where it's like a, it's a strong company, right? It's pretty big. And to do that, you're going to have to, again, like you said, you, you already find yourself now having to give up some of the reins to, to, to your other people, right? Don't you feel like you're eventually going to get to the point where you got to give up most of the reins, let's say for the creative, the, the creative stuff to focus on the business. I, I hope not, but realistically, probably, yeah, I feel like it would get to that. It, it, it could, or it would get to that point, but I think maybe it's, it might even be a matter of, I guess you, when you get to that point, you, maybe you get to be a little bit more selective of which battles you get to, you want to fight, or you don't have to do be like a, a creative or, or, a, or a particular lead on every project. You might get somebody who has an essence of what you have, who can do those things, but you get to be a little bit more picky of what your hands on with and what's your, what your hands off with. Um, Cause it's interesting. I, I do also like the business side of things. I, I also find it interesting and I also find it super uh, fun. Would I want to do it all the time? No, same, same with creative. I, I wouldn't want to just be creative and having to like, be a creative workhouse or um, uh, warehouse or assembly line, just pumping things out daily. I, you, you'd burn out. Right. Um, but if, yeah, if, if I had to, if I got to that point, to that point where it was just business, I don't think I would let it get to that point, to be honest. I think I would probably find somebody who, who helps me up in that, that area and just allows me to pick the, the battles that, that, that I want to pick. Do you do you uh, play a hand in every single project that comes through uh, your business? Like every single client project you are helping in some way, shape, or form, putting in putting it together. Because, for example, with Dario and myself, uh, you know, for the longest time we were always both on every project. You know, making sure that you know things were 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 going smoothly. But we learned over the last year to relinquish, you know, ourselves to work kind of separately sometimes because that helped us take on more work at times. So. For example, I'm right now probably like handling two specific client projects, whereas Dario's handling another two, and I can trust him to uh, to take care of that entire project aspect. You know, if he if he has questions or suggestion or, or wants my input on something and vice versa, you know, we would ask each other. But you know, we've kind of learned to kind of separate a little bit just so we can take on that work. Do you feel like you still want to maintain that you uh, um, that you work on every project, or do you want to kind of grow it to the point where you don't have to do that? That's a good, that's a good question. I think like right now, the way we have it set up right now is instead of everybody having, uh, um, like tandem things where somebody can have a whole portion of, of something and another person can have a whole portion. Everybody focuses on a different area within the chain and they manage different things within those areas of the chain. So, um, so somebody doesn't have to be super good at, and I think the way the, the dual purpose or having different um, people in different verticals, you have to be good, relatively good at every part of the process. Whereas I don't think um, it, it's harder to find people like that, de definitely. 
Um, but it, I feel like I have more success in finding people who like specializing at those certain areas and can manage multiple um, running projects within that particular area. So that's, that's what I found works. So you basically, uh, you basically, once the project comes uh, through you, you handle the pre-production phase and then you say you have like your two go-to guys who are helping you shoot the project, they handle that. And then if there's like certain editors that edit certain things, you know, it's almost as if you're bouncing the project. Like once it's done in this phase, you move it to the next person who handles that phase and to the next person that handles but that. But he's phase. still overseeing it because he's but, a producer. But that's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. He's still overseeing it. But like a lot of the key roles are kind of shifting. Whereas like with you and I, we hire sometimes a lot of the talent to handle those projects and then we manage those ones. So he's streamlined it in a, in a, in a different way, which mm. I think a lot of people actually like to do especially if they love to to be overseeing every project that comes through right totally but with you guys i think that's especially rare to have it like it's very very tough to find it's very lucky that you guys have it because you have you guys are like a two-headed dragon in that sense right you can yeah. you can run something in parallel and both have things covered from start to finish with 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 those two different verticals, right? We don't have that per se, right? So it has to go through everybody in the, in, in the process and which is, which is easier to find. Um, but, uh, it would be cool to have something that's kind of tandem and you have it like a two headed. It's hard to find it. The, the only th reason I think it works between Dario and myself is because we kind of grew together in the industry and as with our business, because you know, like obviously in the beginning, Dario and I, we didn't know the whole process. So we were learning as we went with mm -hmm. every single project. And only after what, five, six years, only like about a year ago, maybe year and a half is when we kind of started slowly separating it a little bit here and there. And uh, I got to say, it's it's helped us kind of free up each other's time, at, you know, to focus on other things as well, because you know, if, if we're both doing everything constantly, you know, we're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, like if, if there's a project where one of us doesn't need to be there, the other person doesn't go because then they could focus on another client's project, you know, and give that same level of attention that we're always trying to kind of do. Right. Yeah, like this morning we had a, we had a shoot that we needed to do. Right. Last it minute. Really, <laughs> it was very last minute. We didn't have time to hire out someone else. And it was really just a one person shoot. So Kiel went out and did that. And I spent the morning like having calls with clients for, you know, so whereas in the past we would go, we would both go out to that and it would just be a mess, you know, we'd have to reschedule stuff and everything. So, yeah, see, that's, that's lucky. I wish, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think it'd be hard for you to find uh, a partner going forward? Cause you're eventually going to get to that stage where you either need to bring in investors if you want to keep growing or maybe a marketing arm. Uh, maybe a marketing arm or maybe what you would do is uh what do you call merge with another with another company like do you think it's going to be hard to just find someone that's like a guy that's just been fired from somewhere just needs a job and that guy could be your potential partner what an interesting thought so there's actually a guy uh working upstairs right now he was just laid off from a marketing job during the pandemic and he was sitting at uh he was sitting at home and he i've, I've known him for quite a long time didn't have anything to do. He's like, he's like, he's like, man, can I just, can I just, at first he asked for a job and it's like, I don't really have a spot for a job right now, but he's like, can I just, can I just come work out of your office with you? He goes, I can do extra little things here and there, but he's like, I need to get out of the house. I need to flex my marketing muscles. And, uh, 
he's like, you don't got to pay me, but, but if you see, if I'm doing something good and, and things, things start looking up, he's like, consider, consider it. And I was like, you know what? That's a very low barrier to entry. Why not? Um, so he's, yeah, he's sitting upstairs right now, chugging away on, on something. I had a spare computer up there. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff is, is happening and is, um, definitely like talked about, like I've, I've talked openly about like merging with another company who we're like really aligned with, or even bringing on partners where, cause one of the big things I think is if you want somebody who is in the game as much as you and, and pours kind of like blood, sweat and tears into it and has skin in it, you really got to be a partner where, where they can see the, they can also tangibly feel the success and the growth and, and that kind of thing, rather than just being just a straight uh, employee where they, they do their thing, they, they go home. And, and for that, for, for some people, that's, that's perfectly fine. And they love doing that and they don't want to have skin in the game and, and that kind of thing. But um, I think definitely when you talk about like larger scaling, partnering, merging, um, that kind of thing, all, definitely on the table, but it's, 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 it's scary, but necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's definitely something to plan out for because, I mean, you're, you're farther uh, along than us. These are things that we're trying to figure out now, you know? Yeah. Um, like if we were at your stage, I, I don't know, like we'd be like really, really thinking about it. Because again, like you, yeah. you're at a point where like you, it looks like you, you've already had so much growth in the, in the time you've been around, right? Like I, I can't even imagine the next couple of years what they'll look like for you. So yeah, it, honestly, if the, if the pandemic didn't hit, it just looked like it was going to keep going um, more nuts and more nuts. It's definitely like pop, not, it's, not, it's paused. Definitely hasn't died, but it's leveled off for a second. It's been put on pause. Yeah. Um, but pending the pandemic, if that didn't hit, it just would have kept going. I'm kind of grateful for the pause. Cause I get to like sit and think and like really take a step back and observe things from, a, um, a definitely from a higher perspective, top down kind of look. Um, so I've kind of liked the, not that I've liked the pandemic, but I've liked the time it's allowed me. Yeah. So now that it's given you that time to look over things again from like a bird's eye view, I guess, what, what have you noticed? Um, just, I think, I think I've kind of noticed different um, verticals and areas that, that could be got into for, for different uh, revenue streams, um, different areas that I want to fill in terms of people and help and um, kind of growing and scaling in terms of uh, production there honestly there's been so much like I have such a big list and sometimes I shoot myself in the foot because I have more ideas than I have time to execute on them um, but it's been really nice to actually sit down make that list and kind of flesh it out I, I think that's definitely what uh, anyone who runs a business like us needs to be doing right now and I, I'm really glad that that Dario and I started doing this especially when it was at the height of the pandemic you know like I knew as it was happening, like we got to start figuring things out soon, you know, or at least looking at the business, seeing what's working, what isn't. And I feel like what the pandemic has kind of done for a lot of businesses, and we've noticed this in other industries, not just our own industry, is that it has kind of accelerated um, uh, problems that were already there before the pandemic hit. Like it's it, the pandemic didn't exactly just kill off all businesses because uh, just because it happened, right? If you had if you didn't have issues in your business going uh, into it, you probably would have at least not been thriving, but at least been able to kind of keep chugging along a little bit, right? The, the pandemic has just kind of 
uh, highlight an overarching problem in a lot of businesses. I mean, like, for example, a lot of events-based businesses, their biggest problem is that they need people there. And this pandemic, what did it do? It took out the people. <laughs> I think it also made everyone realize how dependent they were on events because yeah. we didn't realize it at the time. But we're like, oh, my God, we actually have a lot of events based. A lot of our projects, projects in the way. And then they, they were all gone. So we're like, Oops. time to go into the direction of no event projects, <laughs> at least to focus in. <laughs> yeah, Totally. And even even just filming with people or like uh, amounts of people on set, like that's that's all changed. Like you can't you can't have as many people crowding around a monitor to look at things or a ton of people with a very specific job. Like you kind of have to be Swiss army knives now and kind of yeah. wear multiple different hats. Like it's a big advantage now. And people looked at it kind of strangely pre pandemic, but now it's, it's, it's something that's like a little, it's like gold. Um, but yeah, things definitely are changing and, and, uh, it's 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 interesting to kind of take a step back and look and see how to adapt and and uh, t I think technology is playing a big part in that as well. Yeah, I wanted to touch a little bit on the evolution of video production companies because it seems that several of the top uh, video production companies are starting to offer marketing services. I noticed you're one that is doing that, right? Yeah. So what kind of prompted you to start that? Mostly just because people are asking for it, like people people. I think at least kind of in the past, people have just, production companies have just provided the product and then handed it off. And then the company decides what to do with things in their internal marketing department, or if they don't have an internal marketing department, they hand it to an agency or somebody else and kind of says, Hey, go, go wild. But I think a lot of people are looking for a more integrated approach, like one-stop shop kind of thing where they don't have to, pass it off and and they're able to deal with one team who kind of gets who kind of follows that whole journey from from start to finish because handing it off you have to re-explain a lot of things and give a lot of background and kind of go through that reiteration process several different times every time it's hand off, handed off so i think yeah just something integrated you mentioned how you you kind of give a lot of people who have um, you give the roles of certain specialties within the production process to different people right because you know that they're really good at that process since you're doing marketing are you handling a lot of that aspect yourself right now or is there someone within the company that's kind of helping you kind of give the overarching strategy like for how you can promote the content for your clients it it depends on the project it depends on who it's for, how it's going to be used, how complex it is, how simple it is. Um, it could be a, a thing where you just need people's opinions or input, or it could be something super, super technical where only a few people can give input on it, right? Because they, they have expertise in that area. Um, so it really depends. It could be just me. It could be more people. It could be even external people. It, it depends on what the project calls for, for sure. So have you outsourced marketing work to marketing agencies or ad, ag ad agencies? Not, not outsourced it, um, definitely referred people to, to other people, um, but haven't outsourced it in the sense where, uh, like we get a kickback if we, if we send some work somewhere, we just have kind of recommendations for, um, uh, people that we know or people that we've networked with over the years, um, and just kind of go, Hey, we know these people and kind of let that go from there. Because if we, if we do, if we, um, if we outsource that, we're also responsible for the results of, of that. Um, and unless we know them really, really, really well, and we're happy to be the responsible for the results, I'd rather just 
refer them to that person. So you're basically uh, okay. trying to to offload also at the same time. Not only the liability, the liability. Yeah, you're you're trying to offload the liability if it doesn't perform well to the people that you recommend, right? Depending on what they do, yeah. So it it it, it would depend on it would depend on the project, but sometimes if people have unrealistic expectations or if there's um, just some sort of some sort of variable where there's a disconnect or there's a potential for it to be misused or not not misused but um, yeah just a different expectation I'd much rather refer it to somebody and say hey what can you do with it or because they can also provide their own internal feedback to those people to to right. to piggyback on what we're saying right um, so I'd, yeah I I I prefer outsourcing at this point in time unless we get like a really good partner who we're really aligned with and we can go, um, uh, Hey, let's, let's bring them on closer in the chain. Um, but for now we just kind of refer. So basically you just, um, you, you kind of like recommend them to the, to the marketing agency or the, the people that handle that aspect, you basically recommend it to them and then they just kind of communicate with them directly and they just handle it. Or do you kind of the, both of you sit down together in a room with the client and figure out what those needs are? Is it a mix of that or is it more so the other where you just kind of let them handle it and they get the client just let them yeah let them handle it that's that's the point that we're that we're at it could could change in the future but um we're just not i don't, I don't think we're experienced enough or versed enough in the space to sit down and like have those conversations with people um it, it would only come with over time with with small small bits of experience and small exposure that's kind of like built on could be the guy upstairs coming in, you know, and uh, and revolutionizing Viva, right? <laughs> well, well, he gets it. He gets it, right? And he's he's made the whole process very low, low entry. So, you know, it'll be interesting. Yeah, we we had a conversation with a with an ad agency um, on our last episode, and that's something they brought up because we we told them how we want to start offering marketing services to our clients right but we don't know how to go about it exactly how to like integrate it yeah we were thinking maybe partnering up with a with this small uh, marketing agency but we're we're so unsure of it because again we're not familiar with the marketing space too much and one thing what to they, promise right so one thing um, they proposed was that we could just uh, outsource it to them and then over there there's two options we can either um, have them be very integrated into the process so they come to the meetings and everything or um, we act as the middle middleman for the whole thing right and that's something we were trying to figure out because that, that was a really interesting way of looking at it but then hearing you talk about it right now how again like sure there's a bigger reward but then there's also bigger risk bigger risk because then you're on the hook if it doesn't perform well, right? So that might cost you more in the long run. So we're, I guess right now we're just trying to figure out like what the balance would be because it seems I like there is like some sort of delicate balance because again, like you want to also be very integrated with the process, yeah. uh, not just alongside the marketing agency, but also so the client sees you alongside the marketing agency, right? Because one of our new things is we want to pitch ourselves uh, more so as video consultants and creators. So that would go hand in hand with working with the marketing team on developing the whole campaign, at least on the video content yeah. side of things. Right. I think it's all, I think it's all a matter of trial and error. Like, you know, like we can sit down and talk about like what can, what is possible, what isn't possible. But I think at the end of the day, it just is a matter of what project comes along that allows us to just try this opportunity out. 
it doesn't have to be an opportunity where we're all going to make a hell of a lot of money. You know, it just goes back to the old days when we first started out, we were charging what $50 a project, a hundred dollars a project to just kind of figure out the process and learn. Right. And I think it's almost as if we got to go back to those kind of roots in terms of figuring out how it would work. We it, just have to do trial and error. It's just interesting though, because again, just on the video side of, of things, we're working, it's going to cost like a, a break even of let's say, it's going to cost uh, as an average, let's say like 5k for a simple video, right? But then when you add like marketing for the video, that could almost like another be another 5k. That might either be just, just as much as how much the video costs, if not double or triple <laughs> that amount, right? So suddenly you're going to the client and saying, hey, not only is this going to cost you like uh, 50% more, it might cost up to 150% more than what yeah. you originally planned out for this. <laughs> so I'm just wondering how that conversation might end up going, right? Yeah. Like, that's a good question. And that's honestly, that's why, that's probably why we're, we're not into it as much as could be or should be is it, it just doesn't, like you said, it's, it's trial and error and it's kind of getting a sense for what feels right. And right now it doesn't feel right. And so that's probably why we're not, we're not in it. It just doesn't feel, it would feel like we're forcing it. We're trying to make it fit when we're not at the point where it's like, okay, we need to make this happen. We kind of just want to make it happen. It needs to be that need stage. So how, how, how often have you been able to try it? Cause okay, you, you're obviously offering it, but not to everyone. And it seems that the people that you're offering it to wanted it, but have you been offering it to clients that didn't think about it? I wouldn't say that we, that we off, we necessarily offered it. It was just a perfect storm where just like stars aligned and, okay. and, um, yeah, it, I wouldn't say it's something where we're going out of our way. It just happened to be like a, a tiny little perfect stars aligned case study it went really well. I'm like, okay, cool. Learned a lot from that back to what we know. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, you got to always trust your gut. You know, if you feel like this is definitely an opportunity that, you know, you can handle it, you know, you can manage it, you know, the people that you can talk to, to get it done, go for it. But if something in your gut is telling you that you like, you're not sure, like always trust that gut feeling. That's, that, that's how we do it. You know, we always make sure we know what we can handle. Mm-hmm. It's like hiring, hiring a, a new employee because you know you need to fill that role or moving to an office because you know you need it. There's, you know that feeling, like that, that, yeah. that kind of gut, like I need to make that happen kind of thing. And it, it just hasn't come up with, with that side of things. I want to touch on another topic as well, uh, sales. How heavily do you do sales or has most of your work been referral based? So funny story, I've never done a cold approach in my life. I don't even, I wouldn't even know the first thing about cold approaching. Okay. All referral based. It's all been referral. It's all been one person passed on to another person. It's been learning. Um, it's been learning like marketing. I mean, I don't even carry business cards. I've never carried business cards in my life. I don't like carrying business cards. I will, I will, I'm much more like if I network with somebody, I'm like, here, let me get your email and send you an intro email rather than giving somebody a business card. Cause I throw away business cards when people give them to me and I'm sure people do the same when I give them to them. So I'd much rather start a conversation going then and then and there. Um, but I've also taught myself how to like, how to, how to advertise and like build little ads and things. I'm a huge, I'm a massive, massive, massive tech tech nerd and like building uh, a website that, that, that will rank and like building, um, yeah, small little advertising things, but I've never had, I'm super lucky. I've never had to do cold outreach ever. Do you get a lot of outreach from uh, potential leads uh, based on like uh, your SEO then? Cause it sounds like you've really 
cracked, not cracked the code, but you've really optimized, for example, your website and your online presence to the point where there's probably a lot of leads coming from there, right? Like, I mean, like, is, is that where a lot come from? It's, it's where a good chunk comes from. I think you get, um, it's, it's fantastic for filling gaps of things, um, but the vast majority of things is like, uh, like word of mouth and referrals and like lifetime, lifetime or long-term customers, right? Because you know, you know as well as I do that there are some clients who come, maybe come every year for uh, one big job or one small job. And then there's other clients where they constantly have bunch of, a bunch of different video projects and it's when you get those big ones who constantly have a bunch of video projects those are usually the ones that we get as referrals or um, have these existing uh, relationships with but um, the s yeah the the website question it's great for filling stuff but um, that's it's it's I wouldn't rely on it fully but it's essential right because if you you, brick and mortars are, are becoming less and less, right? And the website is your online store. That is your store. That is where people find out about you. That's where people, people discover you. Um, so it's essential to have it. I, I would say those two things are the, are the biggest thing. So I actually have a question regarding the SEO stuff. Once you get to the front page, did you just like, are you done or do you, what are you doing? Do you, how, how do you, how do you keep staying on the front page? You got, so you have to do a lot of work. So I'm 100, 100% self-taught in all this stuff. It took me two years to learn of straight work, to learn how to uh, build a, build a website and like learn how to properly structure it and learn what uh, metadata is and all of this stuff. So it took me two years of, of really, really grinding and learning how to, to do everything. But no, it's, it's, a website is like a plant. You have to constantly water it, constantly feed it, constantly. Well, you don't burp plants. I'm thinking of babies now, but you, you constantly have to nurture this thing to keep it growing because the, if you think of your website, like a plant, um, and then the internet, like, like a pot, let's say, um, like the plant pot, um, in this weird universe, the pot is always growing. The internet is constantly getting bigger. There's constantly expansion of it, right? And you have to keep growing your plant to stay proportionate to the size of that pot. This is a really weird analogy, but um, if you don't do anything, then it will swallow you back up and you'll go back down. So it's a lot of work. So oh, okay. you basically taught yourself also how to be almost a website designer and coder by by yourself, right? But he's an engineer, so... Oh, well... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's different. I, I don't know that side of things. Engin there are different engineers, there. There's chemical engineers, there's structural <laughs> engineers, you know. Just because you're one doesn't mean you know the rest. I want to touch on uh, one of the, the one last, last things, which was retainers. So have you tried them? Have they worked? Why do you think they haven't worked? Uh, have we tried, re tried retainers? I don't think we've, like... Maybe we would have accidentally done it. I don't think we've like definitely locked in and be like, hey, sign with us. Um, you're locked with us. To be honest, I feel like people are going away from that route with a lot of things. Like I see agencies going in, like people like choice. People like if something doesn't work out, they don't want to be locked in if it doesn't work out. Um, I like it's kind of like a cell phone. Con Does anybody like cell phone contracts? You might think that you oh, like Telus yeah, that's, that's a really then good Then you might discover that you don't like Telus and you want to switch over to Bell, right? And like, why would you want to 
keep somebody in a locked contract if they don't like what you're doing, you don't like what they're doing. I don't know. So I, I don't think I've ever done a retainer thing. We just kind of have recurring people who, who come if they see like it's a good fit and might go if they don't feel like it's a good fit. Yeah, it's something that we've been we've been thinking about it because again, we're trying to figure out a way to get consistent monthly income, right? And we figured it's hard to do in our industry. It's it's a little hard to do because again, like you might have certain clients that will be with will need two to three videos a year and that's it, right? But then we're trying to figure out a way where we could kind of work with them on creating consistent content. And then at the same time, we'll get consistent income from them for that content, right? Yeah. So we figured, okay, I guess the retainer model might be the best, but everyone we've spoken to, like they've tried it and it hasn't worked. And we were wondering if maybe it, it was the industry that they were targeting, maybe the clients they were doing it with, maybe like maybe the details of the retainer just didn't work out. But the way you just said it right now, like it makes it, 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 it makes really sense like, why makes it so work. much sense, right? And again, we also spoke with uh, our, our last guest uh, is uh, an ad agency and they were telling us about how like back in the day, they'd have like these ad agencies would have like 10 year retainers. Right. And now it's gone down to like a year. And these are like huge like ad, ad agencies. So they're able to still do that. But I can see why it doesn't work if you're a lot smaller than that. I mean, it's also a very old. It's also a very old school kind of mentality with a lot of the ad agencies. A lot of companies are moving away from the ad agencies because of the structure that they that they have, you know, where, you know, it's very slow and inefficient. Like they were we, we found out that. A lot of agencies would sometimes take eight to ten months just to get one project done. That's why they also needed the retainer because their 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 process was so slow that they needed that income to get that uh, to get that work done. And definitely, I, I think there's still a place for retainers in our industry for sure. It's a matter of finding how you can deliver the value for that retainer. You know, it's it's not like we want to get a client have them sign up for a year and then strictly, do nothing strictly you know, for the like, retainer like there, there needs to be a purpose to it right yeah it's like okay it does look like you do need that type of consistent content so like this would be the best way to go about it rather than for every individual project we'll go do it like that because it'll it's cost just, more it'll cost you more at the end of the day right and again it's like it, it doesn't make sense like we could it'll just be easier this way right so, so i guess if we look at it from that point of view yeah i think it's providing people with the flexibility to choose what they want right because not everybody will be at that retainer phase but they might get there at some point i mean there's something that we all love and use uh, at least i think you guys use the adobe creative cloud right yeah. and they offer their their platform in two different flavors you can do a monthly subscription it costs a little bit more per per month sure or you can do the yearly commitment right but they don't say hey you have to pick uh well if you go with yearly you you, you commit yearly of course but they give you the option it's not like they're just a a yearly subscription model or just a monthly subscription model there's an option and you can maybe start monthly and you can do three months in and go oh this is a perfect fit for me i love it i gel with the creative suite i'm going to switch over to yearly right yeah. People who want to go yearly with you are going to go yearly with you, right? And they're going to stick with you. People who aren't, they're going to maybe do a couple months in. They understand that it's going to cost a little bit more, but they'll find out that it's not a good fit for them or it's not what they were looking for or not what they expected. Not, not because of the problem of the company or could be more on, on their side, but they, it just gives them options and flexibility. Like nobody likes being locked in right off the bat on your first toe dip in, right? Yeah. Um, so I kind of look at it from the creative suite model. And that's a actually way. a really good analogy as well. And I, I guess the other 
thing that you can also do is you don't need to lock them in. It's like you, you are basically locked in for the year or six months or however long. But even with Adobe, you could pull out whenever you want. Like they'll actually try to give you a better deal for you to stay in if you say you want to leave. So you could apply, I guess, the same thing to the retainer models mm -hmm. and say, even if after four months you don't want to do it, that's fine. We're not going to like hold you to it hold you hostage yeah like at that point it, it's it it'll it'll burn the bridge between you and us and maybe you you, you likely badmouth us to your other people it's like sure well, okay if you don't want to continue doing it then at the end of the day fine. we want you to be happy right yeah and if you're not then okay let's go back to to monthly subscription and they know it's going to cost like they know it's going to cost a little bit more but the, yeah the whole thing about those monthly sub or the, the yearly subscription, I, at least I think in terms of like services is you get to know them a little better and you find those efficiencies and you can execute on things a little quicker because you understand them and you understand their process. And that's where those cost savings come in, I think. And you can, you can develop that on a monthly basis. You can even have something that remains monthly and, and you're just able to over time provide those efficiencies instead of a, a, an upfront one-year commitment. So, mm -hmm. I think one thing people, a lot of people also forget is that like a lot of people are very transaction focused in their business. You know, it's like, okay, you want this, it's going to cost you this much. Let's get it done, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like a lot of people don't approach their business from the standpoint where, you know, like we also want to see our clients be successful because, you know, it's almost like as if you see, uh, like you create a, um, like a feature film and you put it out there. You want to see the people who put the money and the uh, get a sequel or 10, right? Yeah. You, well, there's that, but you want to see the success there. You want to see your clients succeed because if they succeed, they're going to want to also continue to do more work with you. So, cause it's like, if, if your clients do better, you will do better. If your clients don't do well, they're obviously not going to come back. So you're going back down, you know? So it's a matter of us trying to figure out how we can communicate that we're trying to do things, not in the best interest for ourselves, but in the best interest for, for them. And that's why we're going with this new consulting approach, because like, again, now, now we're no longer going, okay, you need to make a video and you need us. Okay. So what's the video about? We're, we're now thinking more strategically. We're going, okay, you need to make a video. That's fine. But what are your long-term plans for your business? Not for this video, but for your business as a whole. And from there, we can kind of get a, a, a map of what they want to do. And we could kind of help them um, structure that path a bit better, right? From, from the content side of things, right? So again, if they're trying to increase sales and everything, this might have been one video for a conference related to increasing sales. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, you have this bigger overarching goal. So let's try to figure out how to help you with that. This will be like a little part of a big puzzle, right? Yeah, you're just able to integrate that much more tightly with their vision, I guess, when you can get in there, consult and understand and like pick things apart and really dissect it, right? Whereas if you're just, if you're just a technical executor, right, you're just, you're just, they're saying, hey, this is what we want to do and you're doing it. You don't get that deep dive into things. Yeah, and I guess this goes back to the future of the video production industry as a whole, like there's this hybridization that's yeah. occurring where in the past you would strictly, and this is maybe even before our time, right? Yeah. In the past you would hi be hired out by uh, an ad agency uh, or even the client and you'd be told, okay, we just need to shoot this stuff and you're just handling the production side of things. But now we're also handling the pre-production to a greater degree, not just planning out how the production is going to go, but the overall project as a whole, the right? Creative. Yeah. And again, like 
we're, we're also starting to offer more of a consulting role. Like you're offering more of a marketing role as well. We're, we're starting to offer so many more things. And it, it's interesting to see because these are things that um, other companies like marketing agencies and ad agencies would focus on directly. But now we're also uh, merging those things with our businesses. So it's interesting it's, to see where the industry is going to go as a whole. It's because the industry is evolving right now. And it's a natural evolution. Like, you know, people are resistant to change as much as people can be resistant to change as much as they can. But you know, if you don't evolve with the times, you know, then you're you're going to be left. I, I wonder, in... I wonder if it has to do with the fact that a lot of us that started as freelancers, we started off freelancing and wearing many hats, right? That's true. Because again, like the way we started off, we were producing the project, directing it, shooting it, being audio ops, editing it, um, being managers for the project, you know, human resources, you, you name it, right? So I wonder if because we've been having to wear so many different hats, now that we are running our own businesses, we're also like, well, I can also do a bit of marketing and consulting because I technically did that on my own and now I have a business and maybe I can focus on that yeah. uh, compared to before. Whereas in the past it was like, now you're strictly like a shooter. You show and up with it. your like $50,000 Sony cam, break your back after 20 years and that was it, right? <laughs> it's Yeah, th that's definitely the way it's shifting. And do you know what? Even, even more so, like I even find with us, I would say our work is... 90% direct to the business, 10% agency, if that. And I think it's, mo it's definitely more and more, um, I think what's causing the, 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 the marketing work to come more on the production side as well is that more and more companies are, do you guys watch Gary, Vayner, Gary Vaynerchuk? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Gary we, so you Gary know how v. he says every company needs to be a media company? The uh, more and more companies are, having like a larger and more fleshed out marketing teams in-house where they might be doing like small little uh, video projects in-house and they, they look to go external for something that's a little more extravagant and a little more wowed, but they don't need that agency middleman, right? To cut things out. They have an internal marketing team to determine what they want. They just want somebody else, i.e. the technical executors to refine that messaging or help them further develop it um, and they can go direct to us for that. They don't have to go them, agency, us. Yeah, and it's, it, again, social media has changed the, the, the game in a way, right? And, and the pandemic as well, because now everyone needs to communicate with their clients and customers online. And at the end of the day, it's not that difficult to do. You just have to be consistent with it. Yeah. If you obviously like if you're like a one man band, it's it's hard. You do need to get someone that's dedicated to that position. But yeah. it's available now. Everyone can do it. Well, the thing the thing that people don't realize is that like because we've had to wear all these hats as freelancers, I think that's just kind of shifted our thinking. It's like like you do. You have you have people that are designated to certain positions and roles because they are really good at what they do. But you're guiding them based on the 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 knowledge and experience that you've had from wearing those hats. You know what's ca what they're capable of because you've done it yourself. It's harder for a director to to promise something to a client when they don't know the editing process. If it's doable within a certain time frame, if you know it's doable within a certain time frame, you could be like, "Yep, we can get it done in a week." You know, it's going to cost a little bit more, but I know my editor can get it done because I can guide them through it too. So that's yeah. exactly it. I like, that's one of the things I've always said is I will never ask somebody to do something 
that I don't understand or know how to do myself. Like I will never put that on somebody because I can't go to somebody and, and vouch for something that they're capable of if, if, I, if I don't know how to do that, right? So that's one of the things that, yeah, that, that's valuable in being a freelancer who has done every single one of those tasks is you, yeah, you know the limits and you know, um, you know the process. Yeah. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, maybe you just need to inform yourself a bit more on that as well. Cause yeah. you might get to the point where you can't learn everything okay? yeah. at the end of the day, you can't learn it to the same degree. You, you might get an understanding of it. Um, so maybe like, for example, live stream, um, if we, if we were to get a live stream project, I know a person that knows live stream yeah. really well and whatever he would tell me, like, I trust this guy enough yeah. to go like, okay, I know what he, he knows what he's talking about. So I guess in that, in that way, you, you kind of do have to find reliable and trusted people. Well, like you always have to ask questions. Like you have an idea, like as freelancers, we've had, we've had, uh, we had ideas of how to do things. Right. But you know, obviously when you grow and the quality goes up you, you know that things are going to be difficult in this area. So you have to ask, like, for example, Dario and I have never been animators. You know, this is not an, exactly an area we wanted to venture into because it's such a whole different ball game that takes years uh, to learn and it's, it's such a technically creative kind of mix of uh like a like a mindset that you have to have so we've known that like if someone needs that type of work there are people that we're going to reach out to they're going to let us know what the workflow is going to be like how long it would take like what the budget would be and that's how we would do it like we we always have to ask questions like we we don't have all the answers as the business owners right we got to look to our team totally yeah. You got to hire people that are like, you can only get yourself to a certain point, but, but to Darius part, you can't, yeah, you can't learn everything. So you have to hire people. You get to a point where you have to hire somebody who's better at you than, than what you're capable of doing at that time. Of course. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having, having that baseline, at least fundamental understanding is, is always valuable in, in, in helping steer things, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground today. This is uh, this, you're officially our longest podcast at this point. Oh really? So, oh geez. No, no, this is great. You know, like we we love we love it when conversations can we can kind of get lost in it. You know, like every half hour. Honestly, if we didn't have to hit like stop the podcast <laughs> to hit record again on our camera, we could have been going on for hours. I yeah. think there's there's just like we all know so much uh, in terms of like our experiences. You know. You've been around the block for so long and really built yourself and your business to a point where, you know, like there's stuff to be told, you know, people have stories to be told. And and, and it's a different perspective, too, because, again, we roughly started around the same time. Very similar. But we've timing. had different paths. So it's just really interesting to hear how you went about things compared to how we did. Absolutely. Different, different perspectives are everything. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, but before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to plug? There's the website for the company, but uh, vivamedia.ca, but that's that's about it. That's that's where I live all day, every day. I might be getting into uh, equipment rentals soon-ish. Oh, um, okay. But other than that, very baby, very baby people in that, that realm of things. But uh, yeah, hoping to do that in the next little bit. But other than that, just keeping on, keeping on in this pandemic-y world. And how can people find you for the, the equipment rental? Uh, so that is going to, that is going to launch soon ish. Um, but it will be vivamedia.rentals. Okay, cool. Perfect. Well, we look forward to, to seeing, uh, the rental business flourish in the future. And honestly, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experiences. 
No, thank you yeah. guys for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Creatives Grab Coffee podcast. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Let us know if there are any topics you would like for us to cover in future episodes. You can reach out to us at creativesgrabcoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>